We Wear the Ring, Episode 6, Men's Non-Conference Wrap-Up. Welcome back, Duquesne fans, to another episode of We Wear the Ring, a podcast about Duquesne sports and all of the people who love them. This is Dave here. Today we are going to look at the recent game action for the women against Pitt and Temple, the recent game for the men against NJIT, the news about Mike Lewis, and our topic today, our feature topic, is the non-conference wrap-up. We are at the end of the non-conference season, and it's time to look back and maybe see how it helps us look ahead. And of course, doing all of this with me is my co-host and partner in crime, Steve. How you doing, Steve? How were their holidays? I'm well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, we uh, we said Merry Christmas, and the episode dropped sure. after Christmas, so let's say Happy New Year, even though we're after the New Year. Uh, the holidays definitely made our recording schedule a little wonky, but nothing wrong with that. This just kind of flowed better with where the games were, I think. Yeah, I mean, we kind of, uh, there were long stretches where we would have had almost nothing to talk about. Um, and, you know, patience paid off. We have a bunch to talk about today. We we sure do. I, I mean, we talked about our normal recording days, like Saturday or Sunday evening. And um, we're like, well, we'll have like a game to talk about. Let's let's hold off for a minute and let NJIT and Temple happen. And, and so they have. We are talking here uh, this evening not that long after the women beat Temple by just a point. Uh, pretty gutsy win. Um, some mistakes, but lots that we can talk about there. Uh, in fact, let's let's get right into it with the women's basketball team. Um, we'll start, of course, with the Pitt game, the women's version of the City game. Um, that was not so good. No, pass. Pass, pass. Hard pass on the City game this year. So, no, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's not as if... Pitt is, you know, I mean, of all of the things to sort of like happen this this preseason or you know this non conference season for the women, I, I think losing to Pitt is probably the worst of all of them um, because it's not as if Pitt is is on their way back. I mean, they've um, you know they just hired a new coach this past year. You know, they're not you know they're just reestablishing themselves, and this is supposed to be you know, one of the better Duquesne teams in a long time, and Pitt managed to sneak up and beat them. Yeah, Steven, I mean, certainly the recent past with the City game, I mean, it's it's been on Duquesne's side. They, they've done pretty well, and now all of a sudden, um, this experienced group, uh, kind of as they've done throughout the non-conference schedule, just uh, didn't, it just wasn't in the cards. They just didn't have it. Now, that being said, they had a much more solid first uh first quarter than they have in the past though I think they spotted Pitt like the first nine points um they performed from there uh Chastity and Juliana both um double figures um not a whole lot coming from the bench I suppose but I mean there are a lot of things there that said hey Duquesne could win this uh but then fourth quarter kind of like they did against Liberty they they really just kind of fell flat outscored by eight there um they just they look a little bit lost on the court. They they look a little disorganized in the game action. Yeah, and, and even carried over to tonight, they haven't exactly been shooting very well lately either. I mean, I think you know, looking at the pit box score right now, they're they were at thirty two point four percent, you know, from the floor. Um, that's not three point land. I mean, those are the kind of numbers that you would expect to see them from three points. I mean, they're eighteen and a half percent. You're not going to win a lot of games when you shoot that poorly. Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess that's really kind of what it comes down to. I mean, everything else looks pretty even in that game. I mean, nothing, you know, crazy one way or the other, you know, but uh, just the fact that they, um, you know, I mean, Pitt looks like they got to the line a little bit more, but I, I mean, nothing crazy, nothing out of the ordinary. But, you know, if you don't make your baskets, you're not going to win. No, and I mean, they they weren't great from three in the Temple game either. Until I think it was Libby uh, got hot for a couple of a couple of uh, spots in the game. I mean, they have a three point shooting pedigree. They've been mm -hmm. able to hit them, and with consistency in the past. I, I kind of wonder at what point do we have to say, okay, we just we need a new game plan. The way that this team is going to gel sure. has got is not going to be this way. Yeah, you, you, you know, we talk about it with the men fairly often. You, you, you talk about playing inside out, and, I mean, you know, they got to finish inside. You know, they, they can't just, 
you know, completely rely on the three-point play, you know, when they're not making the ones inside, I mean, you know, it, it's it's going to be tough, too, so... Well, I mean, they have gotten their share of points in the paint, but they're they're also not super clean. Um, at times, the, the, it feels like they're rushing their offensive sets. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I I wonder if that's a little bit of feeling the frustration um, that that certain things aren't flowing, sure. and so they're forcing it. Um, so they haven't been good, and that's making them even less good because they're they're almost trying to overcompensate. I mean, I think that's a very valid point. I mean, there's so much. Uh... So much of sports happens between the ears. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, I yeah, I, I think it's very, very reasonable. Um, you know, and, I, and we say this after every one of their wins, but, you know, hopefully this is finally the one that really sparks them and kind of gets them, you know, heading down the right path again. Yeah, let's flip to the Temple game then. Of course, they won by a point, 54 to 53 this evening. Um, and they did it without much contribution from Amagrasso. Actually, it's interesting. The Pitt game was the first game in which Chastity scored double figures and they lost this season. Mm -hmm. And the Temple game is the first game in which she didn't and they won. Uh, So that was interesting. Uh, More interesting still, though, is the fact that your starters were Paige Cannon, Libby Basilak, Connor Richardson, Amanda Kalin, and Kadrian Lass. Yeah, Uh, I mean... Chastity and Juliana started the game on the bench. That could be message-sending time. You know, um... You know, it could also be just trying to find a new look. I mean, but honestly, the, uh, you know, the, the minutes that they got, I mean, um, Voinovic got 18, Omagrosso got 22. So, I mean, yeah, it might might be more of that, that message-sending variety. So, I, I mean, I don't know if it's as much about a new look, but, you know, getting the seniors to, like, <laughs> think like seniors, I suppose. I, I I don't know. I mean, I think that... There was this point that was brought up on the uh, on the board host message board by one hookshot. Um, he said the starting five is not a good unit. The last two home games they were pummeled at the start of games, and of course we've discussed that being an issue. Sure. Give away the lead, falter right on the stretch. Um, you know, talked about giving the ball to Kadrian a little bit more. Um, you know, letting Basilak handle the ball more if you're going to play her the three other things like that. There needed to be a change in something with the starting five. I don't think it was a bad idea to look at it. You you award Amanda Kalen with a start who's who's performed well off the bench. Now she yes. didn't do a whole lot to differentiate herself today, uh, but uh, she she did all right with her 16 minutes. Um, I mean, she's hitting her free throws when they when they uh, when they come up as well. Um, but uh, boy, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, on the one hand, I want to feel good about this. There was a different mix, but they they still. They didn't really get outplayed in the first quarter. They still lag tempo. I want to see them come and throw out a dominant first quarter, not just play even, yeah. but really come out and say, hey, we can hang with whoever this is. In fact, we can pummel you in the face if we want to. Um, so that really didn't happen. And Temple was without their leading score. So a one-point win against... A, a, I mean, Temple's record, um, they're probably better than their record. They had a pretty crazy uh, schedule as well this non-conference season. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think we could kind of say they're on they're even, except Duquesne's a veteran team. Temple's a, a, lot, a much younger team. And yeah. again, playing without their leading scorer, we win by a point. That that concerns me a little bit. Hey, but I, I will, at the end of the day, I'll take whatever I can get right now. So, I mean, you know, we, t- we took the win over Delaware a few years back when they were a top however many team without, oh boy, I'm drawing a blank on their star player's name. I shouldn't be. She was excellent, but... Um, you know that we we saw them again later in the year and they 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 beat us pretty good but um I forgot all about that yeah 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 so um you know I, I'll take it you know um I mean at the end of the day if it gets some momentum going pre you know just before the conference season starts you know great I mean at the end of the day the non-conference ended up being kind of a wash I mean they're out of contention for an at-large bid at this point um, so anything that's going to help them get focus, get momentum on their side going into the conference play, when ultimately it really matters for them, that's what's important to me. Well, and frankly, I think if you look at it, um, the the entirety of the A-10 may be out of it as far as an outlarge bid goes. The um, Atlantic 10, barring some kind of like crazy two-team run, that also they both happen to be meet the championship game. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, on the ladies' side, it's it's definitely going to be one bid this year. Yeah. Um. I, I don't think there's a great 
great noteworthy win in the resumes though i i could be wrong i haven't looked um super close at it you know we talk about pit rebuilding uh you know fordham lost to them as well uh Mm -hmm. they're at the top of the conference in non-con you know george mason is looking okay uh record wise but again you have some losses it's like well you know um i i think that's just where the a10 is we'll just have to hope that the ladies use this to get set um it's nice to see uh it was nice to see Richardson start. Um, I mean, her veteran presence. We talk a lot about that, but um, she's still she's still clearly a little bit slowed. Sure. Uh, by the injury, but Three Libby Basilak looked though. phenomenal. That's, that's yes, for sure. She's playing her game for sure. Uh, Libby Basilak looked excellent today. Uh, double double. Um, mm-hmm. She really did a nice job um, with the ball in her hands, making the right pass. Um, I think that she was one of the players who was looking for some of the the extra passes. But uh, regardless, happy to see a win, and we'll see what happens as they open their non-conference schedule in Olean, New York. Uh, we'll move on to the men now. Um, they Just the one w- game to talk about here, and that would be against NJIT. Uh, of course, that was a loss. NJIT, I mean, it, it, Steve, I think about them, and it's hard not to remember several years ago when they were famously winless. Um, this is a much more veteran team than back then. This is a much more veteran team even than a few years ago when uh, they beat us on their turf with uh, Jim Ferry at the helm for the Dukes. I, I think their experience really showed they're going to be... Uh, it would not shock me to see them make it out of the conference and into the tournament. Yeah, I, I could very easily see that. I mean, they're, uh, they're pretty legit top... 100 program right now or top 100 team right now i mean you know i think they came in with an rpi of 60 before the game i think they closed it at 45 they're not going to stay that high but i mean i think they're gonna they should at least close in the in the top top 100 which i'm sure is a program first for them and i'm sure that if they manage to do that that means they're in pretty great shape for uh, possibly winning their conference tournament. I, I mean, you know, you mentioned their veteran standing. I mean, you know, they had, you know, old players all over the court. I think the youngest person that they, that saw minutes was uh, was Zach Cooks, and he was a sophomore. Uh, they may have had another, a couple of other sophomores in there too, but uh, I think Shondale Jones from Pittsburgh, I think he's also a sophomore. But again, I mean, these are guys are they're all, they're, they're players that have been playing for a while, you know, I mean, you know, with, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about Mike Lewis in a minute, but I mean, the Dukes don't have anybody that's older than a sophomore at this point, or that has more experience than two full year than, than two years. Um, that's kind of crazy, you know, um, you're going to lose the teams that don't have, um, you know, uh, that, that are experienced when you're this inexperienced at this, this stage in the game. Yeah, you raise a good point, Steve. I mean, a lot has been made of what the uh, of the of the age of the Dukes and the experience index of that team and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's easy to forget. Like Eric Williams plays really darn well, and he has uh, for his two years here. I almost I forget that he's a sophomore. In fact, we had to pause the show so that I could remind myself that yeah, he's a sophomore. I don't. I want him to be a junior because he he plays like he plays like he's older than he is. I don't want um, to be a junior. I don't want him to be a junior because <laughs> then he's gone a year sooner, sure. of course. More than thrilled to have Eric Williams for another two years after this. So that was a, a, a nice little win in my head there. But um, but yeah, I mean, there is an experience here. Uh, but I, gosh, I thought JD brought up an excellent point on the post game, which of course there was no, excuse me, there was no Ke- uh, Keith Dambrot interview because he was probably uh, laying into his team a little bit. But he brought up an excellent point on the post game, which was, you got to give their defense a chance to make a mistake. The Dukes were, it's clear that some of the Dukes like what they can do in transition. They like what they can do when they push the ball. And sometimes they just set up for a shot too fast. They don't really take the time to run their offense. Um, And they force those shots. And to Durham's point, if you don't set up and you don't, try you know test and poke and prod that defense there's not going to be a chance for them to make a mistake that gives that opening that lets you drive to the basket that lets you make that pass njit was exposing the dukes they were looking for those opportunities and if duquesne had done the same sort of thing they probably would have performed a lot better in that game 
Yeah, I mean, I think they had some some pretty solid opportunities that they missed on. I think they did just shoot overall very poorly. You know, not to to repeat myself from the women's side of things, but they just didn't didn't shoot well. And I mean, that really, I think, ultimately is what killed them. But I mean, part of the reason why you don't shoot well sometimes is you're taking bad shots. They were a lot. Yeah, exactly. They were living in the mid-range jump shot game, which is never a place that you really want to be. You know, you want to take good three-pointers. You want to take, you know, um, you you want to get close-in shots around the basket. You don't want to be you know, sort of, uh, in, in between, you know, I I mean, you know, this is just a, um, you know, this is the nerd in me talking that sort of basketball (laughs) statistics guy, but I mean, you know, the, the mid range jump shot is, is pretty much proven to be the worst shot that you can take in basketball because you don't have the upside of the three pointer. You don't have the makeability of the shots that are tied into the basket. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I felt like they did a lot of uh, NJIT really looked comfortable running against the press. Like they really wanted to push the tempo with Duquesne, you know, trying to go full court pressure on them the entire game. And they scored a ton of transition baskets. I, I, I actually want to look at that and you know double check to see how many points they scored in transat transition. Looks like twenty points. You know, twenty of their seventy eight points came in transition. You know, which mm-hmm. is um, you know, that's, that's, that's a good size chunk. That's, you know, over 25% of their points. Um, and I feel like Duquesne is not a team to run at this stage in the game, but they decided, you know, we're going to run right back. Um, you know, so, so yeah, you ended up with some early shot clock, you know, um, mistakes, uh, to, to say the least. Um, but again, you, you know, I, I don't want to see this team going end to end. I don't know if they're that good yet. Um, you know, I no, because I think it's when they push that you see a lot of those, just those unforced errors, and sure. uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about them in the future. But I, it's when they push that you see that um, the the pass to no one or the pass that overshoots sure. somebody. Um, I think you know. Or, or just some inadvisable pushes, right? Uh, pushes to Amari Kelly late in the game. Um, sure. Some stuff some stuff that Weathers is just mishandling right now. Weathers needs some super glue on his hands, I think. Um, you know, I, I, I he only got credited for the one turnover, but I, I think there were like three or four different times when it was it, it should have been his ball. He was there. He could have done it. He could have gotten a hand on it, mm-hmm. and he should have caught it. It should have been his. I don't think Weathers is necessarily suited to be a, a power for it. I'm not sure what's gonna uh, what the looks gonna be for him going on. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it's it's kind of the you know we've got them sort of stacked up um at this point. Um, you know, you, you've got two guys that are sort of making double post moves. I don't know if he's quite big enough to be a four. I don't know if he's quite flexible so he's kind of a tweener at this point um you know he is a beefy guy i mean you know there's been plenty of guys that are six five and long that have managed to hold their own at the at the at the uh the the four in the atlantic 10 um but again i mean it comes back to the fact that you know this guy's only a sophomore um in standing this is the first year that he's ever played without his brother um you know who's in oklahoma state right now um you know, so so this, that's a huge adjustment for him. Um, you know, I I don't know. It's uh, but I agree with you. They did get themselves in some problems. You know, uh, in transition, I think there was a stretch where they turned it over three out of four times um, on transition baskets while they were trying or in transition offense while they were trying to claw their way back in uh, to the NGIT game. And really, that's kind of when they lost the game. Um, and, and, and I really think the issue is that they're thinking they're kind of thinking more about it feels like the times when it works for them sure and not so much the times that it doesn't like there was a really great sequence where and I can't remember which one came first but um, I think it was TDM had a, a nice steal fed it to yep. uh, Mike Hughes who like just dunked it and then um, no, it was the other way. It was Hughes first. Hughes had a great feed to TDM, and then TDM had a great feed to Hughes. Whichever way it went, two consecutive plays, really nice, quick, quick, zip, zip, down uh-huh. score. And um, those things work really well, and they feel good when they happen, because those those kinds of plays often feel like sure. they can be a shift in momentum. And then, and then you see them telegraph a couple of balls over the wing that get intercepted, you know, on the next exactly. two possessions, you know, so. Um, exactly. 
and, and I think that's that's just something they're going to have to, to clean up on. I, I think if they watch the tape, I think they could look at a lot of what NJIT did in terms of their offensive set and say, this is what we need to do in a lot of different ways. We need sure. to look for that extra pass. You need to remember that having making the pass, having the ball over there changes the position of the defense, which leaves somebody else open and make that, make that third, fourth pass and get it there. Mm-hmm. And they have to be careful also to not make it the just kind of playing beach volleyball around the perimeter of passes like we saw in late Everhart and, and most of Ferry's run, just giving up the inside. We have height that we can play inside. Yes, they got to get stronger. Yes, they got to get experience, but we can kick it around that way too. Yeah, no, I so. agree with that. Uh, let's move on to Mike Lewis then. Uh, first off, definitely thankful for what Mike Lewis did. I, I think that uh, I, I would have liked to have seen him at least stick around and get his thousand points as a Duke. But uh, regardless of that, um, you know, I, I think he was put in a challenging spot, uh, maybe a little too far out of his comfort zone. He had a hard time getting productive minutes that I'm sure he wanted to get, that he felt he was capable of getting, that he had gotten in the past. Um, certainly, though, thankful for what he did. I think, if nothing else, he made sure that uh, Dambrot's first year was able to kind of hold serve and sure. take the time to reload. So very thankful for Mike for that. I always like listening to him in interviews. Very well-spoken young man. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with the rest of his career. He's a really smart kid. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, and, and I, I do think this is, I feel for him just as you do. And I, this is probably the right move for him. Um, I, I hate to say it because I, don't, I, I hate to see him go. But at the same time, though, you know, uh, questionable minutes you know uh, who knows what his role is going to be moving forward if he wants to showcase and shine and find a way to play professionally you know he's going to need to play his his senior year um you know i with maceo austin coming in i don't know what his minutes were going to look like necessarily um by leaving now he gives himself a half a year of eligibility as a junior and you know and then he'll be able to get a full year with with a team as a senior. So he's going to be a little bit more attractive to potential uh, D1 schools. If he had waited until the end of this year to decide to transfer or, you know, he's he's basically stuck probably transferring the D2. I don't know if anybody's, you know, there, there's not a lot of coaches that want to leave up a scholarship for a player for one year. Um you know, and, and, and have to burn it, you know, uh, the other year, you know, they, they don't want to, that red shirt is just not that appealing to them. Um, I don't know how close he was to graduating. I guess that is the other light at the end of the tunnel for him, you know, um, it potentially like if he was on track to graduate in this summer, then he could have, you know, gone to school somewhere as a grad transfer, but yeah, I do. I wish him the best. I mean, he was a ton of fun uh, during his time here. You know, just a guy that can just fill it up um, and, and really kind of take over a game. Uh, it really was – it was a joy to watch him play. You know, um, I love his work ethic. I love his just insane desire to get better. And, and you know, it is a shame. He's a good character kid, and, and, and it is sad to see him go. It, absolutely. I, that's that's absolutely the case. Um, I, I can't add a whole lot more to that. Uh, I think where we want to steer the conversation then is who should get that, that spot? Who should get those minutes? You know, the last game they had Frankie Hughes in the starting lineup. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I don't know. Should it be him? Should it be Lamar Norman Jr.? Uh, what, what, what direction should the Dukes take there? I'd like to probably see a pretty even split between the two of those minutes wise. Um you know, I, I think Frankie Hughes is a little better defensively at the moment, but I also think that Lamar Norman Jr. has a little bit more offensive upside as well. Um, so, I mean, honestly, just just running the shooting guard as, you know, by committee, I think that would be terrific. I mean, I, I'd actually like to see some, some of those minutes go to Eric uh, Williams Jr. as well. I, I think that he could very easily slide out if they decide to go a little bigger at times. Um, you know, I, I think we actually did see it very, very briefly um, in the last game uh, against NGIT, maybe two, three minutes where he was playing the two. Uh, I, I think it could be a really good thing, um, you know, and again, it could present some matchup problems 
uh, for opponents if you know we we're running six two at the point guard and everybody else is six six or six five uh, or lar- <laughs> are taller on the floor. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah. But again, even pretty even split for me. I, I think that of the choices that would be available, I think that coach ought to make the decision to look for the offensive one. I know how much that Danbrot likes defense, how much of a defensive oriented coach he is uh, and has been in the past. Uh, that being said, um, right now, I think a lot of the problems for the Dukes are on offense, getting those shots to fall consistently. You know, a big part of the problem with the NJIT game is that Eric Williams wasn't 100% on his A game sure. uh, and there just wasn't enough uh, baskets around him um, to, to make up for that and to, to, keep the Dukes in it. And, and, and I think that w- that's a problem. Uh, that, and that's something they're going to have to look at. Yeah, no question. I, I mean, so so you're giving Lamar Norman Jr. the edge there then, right? I, I think so. I want to see more out of him. When he, go, when he gets on a roll, we've seen he can be pretty darn good. That said, I mean, Frankie Hughes has had some good games as well. I, I, I want to see... Now that I'm talking my way through this, I guess I kind of follow where you were saying initially. Let's let's see an even split of both of them. Let's let's get them both some more minutes. But uh, I'd like to see more Rotroff. Now that's not talking about a guard sure. at all, but I'd like to see more of Rotroff as well. I, I think especially I'd like to see Rotroff take a few minutes away from Marcus Weathers and see um, see what he can do. Once again, Rotroff has shown some good in-game awareness. Uh, he's shown some good offensive ability. And my gosh, his wingspan, he's going to be a freak um, if he can really get up and get some nice blocks and everything like that. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. But uh, it's all going to take time. No, I agree with that. And I think part of the issue right now is, you know, the, we've got two of the you know, freshman bigs that are getting minutes right now. You've got Roach Rudolph, who you just mentioned, Amari Kelly, the other one. I still think all three of them along with Michael Hughes their most comfortable position right now is the five um you know I think Rotroff is eventually going to settle in and be a really good four but I think you know when when you just sort of look at him on the floor you know and look at what you know when he's the most effective it's when he's focused on the post entirely um you know I could be completely wrong in saying that but that's just my impression well, let me tell you, I, and we're going to, this is the last thing I'm going to say because we're d- getting dangerously close to our future topic conversation here. But I will say this, I, I can kind of, looking at a kid who's 6'10", I kind of understand that. There were probably sure. a lot of times, not knowing too much about his career before Duquesne, there were, there were a lot of times when you're 6'10", that you are just by default for your program, the kid who's going to be at center. You just are. Oh, you're going to be playing the five. I, I mean, heck, I, I, so I topped out at six foot four, Growing up, um, I was always, by a good margin, uh, the tallest or one of the tallest. So when I was playing basketball, and now I didn't play in high school or anything like that, I wasn't even that great at all. Um, I could rebound all right. But uh, I, I, was head, I was a pretty good head taller than everybody else. So by default, I'm playing, you know, five, four, usually five. Um, underneath, get the rebound, dish it out. Sure. Um, that's not what I'm suited for at all. Like where where I finished out my height, I would maybe want to play a three. But at the time that I grew all the way out, and that was that, I don't have the ball handling skills because that's not what was developed primarily for me. That's not where my time was most spent. Again, I was still terrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to talk myself up at all. But it's easy to kind of be comfortable in those positions because that's where you had to play. That's where you have a lot of experience because who else was going to do it? Sure. You know, Rotroff's the kid who's 6'10". Of course, that's where he's going to play. But uh, let's let's move forward to our feature topic before we take too much of a bite out of it. Go Duquesne! At the close of the non-conference season, Duquesne is among five teams that sit at 9-4 and four going into the Atlantic 10 season. Of course, that puts us with Davidson, Fordham, St. Louis, and VCU, with Dayton not far behind sitting at 8-5. and five. The schedule this year, I think, felt tougher in the non-conference portion, but ranking services recently put it only a bit ahead of last year. I, I think part of that may be due to um, how the teams looked going in. You know, William and Mary looked to be better going in, so did Radford for a while. Then again, there are others who look better than maybe they should. Longwood is doing pretty well. They beat a decent Citadel team recently, for example. 
Regardless of that, it's time to look back at the non-conference schedule and see how it's going to inform what we should expect once we hit Atlantic 10 play against Davidson in just a few days. So, Steve, um, what's your take on the schedule as a whole? You know, I, were you surprised to see uh, that it was only, what, like 20 places harder, quote-unquote, than last year's? Are you looking at Ken Pomeroy, or are you looking at... Uh... I'm looking at whoever said it on the message board, to be quite honest oh. with you. Because <laughs> I think it, it really, there's some varied opinions on on the challenges of the uh, uh, of the schedule. I mean, I, I think um, Ken Palm really did not like our schedule coming into the year, and that really, that outlook didn't necessarily change all that much. Um, you know, RPI, I mean, I think we've got a pretty solid schedule. I mean, it's uh, in the 120s, that neck of the woods, so... I mean, it really kind of depends on who you're looking at. Um, you know, uh, I, I, for me, I think the schedule is considerably more challenging. Um, you and know, I felt I, that I mean, way, too. Based on what you're saying about the RPI, that's at this point with, uh, you know, t- what, 12 games in for just about everybody. Um, I, that's probably where I would look. I mean, everybody's kind of played everybody else at this point. Sure. Um, I, I guess that's probably the more reliable one at this point, then. Would you yeah, agree? I, I mean, you know, Ken Palm is having a that, that site just seems like it's having kind of a weird year, um, in, <laughs> in that it's just it doesn't feel like there's a ton of movement. Um, so it's like kind of you know, I feel like a lot of schools are sort of beholden to their preseason ranking. Like you know, despite going nine and four, Duquesne hasn't moved at all. If truth be told, I mean, I haven't actually looked at Ken Palm lately. But I mean, they probably actually they started around one fifty five. They're probably actually lower than that at this point. Um, I don't know that for sure, but that's just my guess. Um, uh, know, I can I, tell you that before the NJIT game, I think they were like one sixty one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ken so they, obviously they're going to lose some ground there too. Um, I, I mean, what Ken Palm is really all about is did you beat the spread and how much did you beat the spread by? Um, you know, his spread that he creates. So I mean. You know, uh, if you if a team is 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 killing the spread and they're just they're exceeding expectations every game, they move up pretty quickly. You know, if you're just sort of hanging in there and and grinding out games, you know, the RPI is going to love that. Um, but Ken Palm is not. Um, you know, and and really, you know, looking at the preseason schedule, the only ones that Duquesne really exceeded their, um, you know, their scoring output or their beat that spread by a lot. You know, there's William and Mary for sure. Um, you know, Marshall would be another one, um, other Maine, other than that, that's, so that's three games, um, where they outperformed the spread. Um, you know, the rest of the time, it, you know, the games were much closer than I think you would have expected. Um, I, I think a lot of the teams were a little better than we, we thought they would be coming in. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought, um, you know, NJIT in particular has a very good team. Eastern Kentucky was a terrible matchup. Um, you know, I, I mean, hopefully they'll help prepare us for when VCU comes to town. But, um, yeah, I mean, even Radford. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would have expected Radford to be as good as they are. Um, you know, they, they had an excellent preseason, you know, including their win against Texas. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's overall, I mean, it's, it's just hard to say, you know, but... I mean, I can't look at the schedule, look at the teams that they played, you know, actually evaluate the individual teams by the eyeball test. It's hard for me to think that this wasn't a considerably better schedule. I, I think there are a couple of things that, that point to that. I mean, the one is, I mean, certainly most of the teams had a, at least a touch more clout than last year's schedule. I mean, there's no denying that. Uh, we had mm-hmm. recent NCAA berths in there and uh, other sorts of things like that. You know, Radford, uh, you know, they looked pretty good early on, that Texas win and everything else, but then they dropped like four straight. Um, so uh, I, I don't know as much about that. Uh, William and Mary, you thought they were going to be better coming into the year. Um, I agree with that. They, they haven't really been. But but regardless, uh, that that's good to note about you're, you're certainly more into the Ken Palm and RPI stuff than I am. So that's good to hear uh, on that front. Uh, what would you say? What were your, let's start with the low points. What were your low points in the, uh, the non-conference schedule? Or just, um, I don't necessarily mean games. I, I mean, maybe overall performances so far or uh, anything like that. What were you, what concerns you? What was the. So I, mean, I think that the, um, 
I think the key, the, the low point of the non-conference, I would say, would be the City game. I thought it was just a really disappointing performance um, when they really had the opportunity to do a heck of a lot more. Um, it's not a very good pit team. Uh, and they just, you know, Duquesne just got into a shooting funk where they just, you know, nothing was happening. Um, and then, you know, the, the frustrations on offense led to struggles on defense and, and Pitt was just able to carry it away. Um, I mean, other than that, I mean, I, I'm really not all that disappointed. Um, I mean, I, I guess, um, you know, I, I, I guess I would have liked to have seen a little bit more maybe development from some of the freshmen. You know, um, the way Rotroff started off, I wish I would have, I'd like to have seen him, you know, sort of improve a little bit more as the, 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 the non-conference season went along. You know, he had his, he had his ups and downs. Um, I think we saw, uh, you know, Amari Kelly take some pretty big steps forward. Um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess uh, overall player development, I, I think overall too, you know, you know, despite playing 13 games, I'm really still not sure if we know what the best combination of five players is on this team yet. Um, you know, and that that's a little alarming at this point too. You know, it's still the team is still coming together. I mean, which, you know, is good and bad, you know, but I, I guess I would have liked to have seen it, you know, gel a little bit more at now. You know, and that's that actually dovetails nicely into one of the points I wanted to make, which is that consequentially, there are still some of the same kinds of early mistakes that we saw in the first couple of games being made right now. Mm-hmm. Um we a lot of them have to do with taking care of the ball or just some of those unexpected passes, passes to no one, all of those sorts of things. But those are things we looked at early on and said, well, you know, they're still used to how sincere Carey is going to pass the ball. Sure. They're still getting used to these new guys and coming together as a team. Maybe I was wrong to think that a lot of that would be uh, markedly improved after 13 games, but um, we're st- we're still seeing a lot of it, whether it's sloppiness or just sync issues with the team and. I suppose it's probably part of it that we don't know not only who are the best five to put out there as your starting lineup necessarily, but also in in what combination, right? Because it's not just your best five players, it's your best five in a specific combination sure. uh, that you have to figure out to make it work. And, and I agree, we don't really have that answer just yet. No, and I mean, I, I do think it'll come. I mean, and, and truth be told, I mean, maybe we're just not used to Dan Brote basketball either in the sense that, you know, he's going to mix it and match it a lot, um, you know, and, and he's going to go with who's hot on a given night. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it could just be a matter of perspective and, and expecting something different. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, and I agree with you. I mean, I do think that there's there's definitely still some, some issues with, um, with chemistry on offense. I do think chemistry on defense has gotten considerably better. Um, it doesn't always show in the uh, final score tallies. I mean, looking at the – you know, since the main game, they've allowed, you know, 70 points in each of the last three games, um, you know, which, you know, that doesn't scream excellent defensive team, but, um, you know, the possessions have been up, especially the last two, um, because of just the natural pace of the game. I mean, I, you know, just looking at, um, looking at the defense, you know, just looking at the way that they're switching, you know, they're, or excuse me, fighting through screens, you know, there's just a lot more you know, it just, even though, again, it hasn't prevented the, hasn't reduced the scoring at this point, but we're starting to see some fundamental things and fundamental changes on defense that I think are going to lend pretty well for the actual conference season. Uh, you know, I, I do agree with that. I, I think it was just a little, a little while ago, well, a few, it hasn't been that long since the season started, so it can't have been that long, but it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about they were overcommitting on the help defense and other things like that. And um, I, I do agree, we're seeing that a little bit less. It has not necessarily made a difference on the score sheet, but we are seeing some better fundamental stuff. Uh, I, I definitely am much more... Um, process-oriented than results-oriented. Sure. Um, comes from being a nerd and playing collectible card games and other things like that. Um, results-oriented thinking is, is dangerous. Ask anybody who plays poker. They will tell you results-oriented thinking is dangerous. Um, though part of... One thing that does concern me is that um, sometimes it feels like Dan Brott's rolling with who's hot also means that some guys... I don't know if they can really 100% find a groove. Um, 
before, well, they're not hot, well, I'm going to pull them out. Um, and, and I think he's got an interesting problem, and it's clear in interviews that he's still trying to figure it out, managing these minutes. Sure, and, and you've got to manage maturity levels, too. Um, you know, again, these guys are... You know, especially the freshmen, I mean, they're used to coming in and being their team stars, you know, and, and it's kicking the groin, you know, when they come in and they've got to, like, wait behind somebody who's a little better than them or they've got to, you know, if, if they're not, if they're having an off night, you know, they're going to sit. You know, even if they're having an off night in high school, they're still playing because they're still the best player on the court, you know, nine times out of ten. Um, so, I, I mean, it, it the team's got to grow up and they've got to get better and and work together as a team better but they've also got to just mentally grow up too i think a little bit too and you hear a lot of that from dan bro in the postgame interviews i mean you know just just sort of you know understanding what it takes to win and sometimes what it takes to win isn't necessarily going to help your personal statistics on on a given night yeah and it's something that they have to realize is that Overall, it's going to help you by helping everybody. Right. Um, I mean, there's only 200 minutes that you can get in a game um, and how that's going to be dished out. I, I don't know that I necessarily want to see a change in how they're allocated, except for the stuff we talked about with Mike Lewis a little while ago. I, I think it's more in a, a change in how they're used. If, if, like, if a guy is only going to get 10 minutes... Let's have that happen in a little bit of a longer stretch and see sure. what they're capable of that evening instead of like they're in for three... Or, well, I, I guess that's a long stretch, but you know what I mean. They're in for a very short while, then they're out. Then they're in for a very short while, then they're out. Well, nobody's going to find a groove right, uh, playing like that. No, I mean, I, I think that's pretty clear. Um, you know, and, and his substitution pattern is is something that is a little different. Um, you know, and I, I think there are players that are going to have to get used to that. You know, again, you, you, they're not going to get a chance. Not everybody's going to get a chance to be the high-volume guy. I, I mean, I think, you know, Eric Williams, who you know, went four of 18, isn't going to get a lot of opportunities to go four of 18 under Keith Dambrot. I mean, I think there's just no way around that. You know, if, if you're shooting poorly, somebody else is going to be able to step in. And, you know, right now they're, they're still a little thin. And I mean, you know, we keep in mind, they're down two shooting guards right now. I mean, you know, you know not only are they down, you know, Mike Lewis, they're down Ra Craig Randall, the second as well. So this is in, um, you know, so, so they're missing some key components at a key position at this point. Um, you know, so it's, you know, and, and really Randall would have been one of the, another veteran presence. He would have been heading into his junior year. So, you know, there's, there's some holes on this roster. Yeah, and that's certainly fair. Um, let's let's brighten it up then, and this is why I wanted to save it for the end of the show. Uh, things that we like, things that are happening that are great, and I, I got to jump in with the very first one, which are the comebacks. Uh, these are things that, while we don't want the team to rely on their ability to do this, um, we would not have seen previous Duquesne teams do. I don't care who the opponent would have been. We would not have seen the UIC game. We would not have seen sure. Eastern Kentucky, not have seen Longwood. Um, the fact that they can pull these games out and um, I, for the most part, um, you know, the, their losses haven't been terrible. Um, you know, uh, Pitt, the Pitt game we talked about, that, that was really a tale of two halves. Sure. But, I mean, they hung with Notre Dame for most of the game. They hung with Penn State until the very, very end, and that stupidness. Um, yeah. You know, NGIT, they led for, like, 15 seconds. So it's not like they're, they're, not, they're not blowing games either. Yeah, I mean, and I think... Um... I, I, I do I agree with that one hundred percent. I think the 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 um the losses are a little more lopsided on paper than maybe they should be. Um, you know, that they, they they definitely felt like much closer games than that. You know, Penn State did not feel like a six point loss. You know, uh, even NJIT, you know, I feel like they were a lot more closely matched. Certainly Notre Dame. I mean that you know. Michael Hughes fouled out and and the wheels fell off in that one. Um, you know, so I mean, but I don't know if I don't know if they were necessarily 11 points better than the Dukes for, you know, 30 minutes of that game. Um no, I I mean, I I don't know. I, I agree with you on the losses. For me, the the biggest positive is I I think that we're seeing that sincere carry and Michael Hughes are are just going to be stars. You know, we've already got um Williams you know, so so that's a nice 
three-headed monster that this team's going to have moving forward. And again, that group is going to be together for two and a half more years. I, I can't stress that enough, you know, assuming all things go well. Um, but that is an excellent core to build around because all three of those guys could very, very, very easily be some level of, of all Atlantic 10 player. And, you know, it, that's kind of what you need. You need to, to have a couple of stars they're going to represent your team well uh, in order to be successful in the Atlantic 10. And you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, the emergence of Sincere Carey as, as a freshman playing the point, especially a very important position and not easy for freshmen to do unless you're of the one and done variety. Um, and then, of course, we, we've seen over the years and some, sometimes in complete absence of it, uh, we've recognized the importance of having a strong guy at the five. Um, having that right there, that's the battery that's going to power a whole lot of stuff. And then already knowing that Eric Williams is a part of the mix too. Yeah. Uh, that's, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think that's the best part of the non-conference. You know, I, I definitely hoped to be coming out of it a little better than nine and four. Um, I thought we would be able to steal something from at least one of the, uh, the three power five teams that we played, but um, that said, nine and four is certainly not bad heading into the A10, and it's at least uh, we're at least pacing the other leaders. Yeah, and, and nine and four, truth be told, is about where I was expecting them to be. I, you know, I, well, there's you know, expectation, was... there's hopes. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, no, 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 correct. I mean, you know, it's um, you know, I was I was definitely expecting them to flop one of the first three games. You know, uh, I I didn't think I I expect a lot more out of William and Mary this year. Uh, I mean, obviously, they, they've shown pretty poorly, but even UIC and Radford, I th sort of thought one of those was going to go poorly for them. Um, you know, I, I did expect more from the pit game. Uh, you know, Marshall, I thought that was probably a solid loss. You know, NGIT obviously did not know what to think there. And Penn State, you know, I thought that that, that I thought was going to be the most difficult win or the most difficult game preseason. And it turned out to be a game that they really had a shot to win uh, down the stretch. So, I mean, yeah, 9-4, and four, I'm not going to complain too much about that, especially, you know, integrating all of the players that they needed to integrate. Uh, you know, I, I just thought it could have gone a lot worse than this. I mean, I could have seen them as, as low as, you know, 6-7 and seven or 7-6, seven and six, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I don't think it's all that unreasonable to think that that's where they would have ended up you know, given how many new pieces they they had to fit into the puzzle. And I, I, I can't add anything to that. Uh, let's just do a quick look ahead then. Uh, a couple days from now, we will be playing against the Davidson Wildcats, uh, who, are, again, are sitting at 9-4 and four tied for first in the Atlantic 10. Um, I don't know what to make of Davidson this year. Uh, in a lot of ways, their schedule makes me think of Duquesne's. Um, you had uh, losses to... Power Five conference schools, uh, and I guess Temple in there as well. Um, you had some good wins, some 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 nine nine wins here. Not super impressive. Like there are some schools that you recognize, like Wichita State. We know what they've done lately, but they're kind of having a so-so year. Sure. Um, and then you have some teams that are not great. You know, they played Northeastern twice, um, as we discussed a few weeks back. Um, I I don't know what to make of Davidson. Uh, going into this first game here, I mean, I I'm not looking forward to going to to see them. I mean, I, I think they are a really good team. I think they're not a great matchup. Um, you know, I think they're going to bring a lot of the same sort of things that NJIT brought in the last game. You know, they're going to take pretty good care of the basketball. They're going to make a lot of nice runs off the ball. Um, you know, and I'm I'm honestly hoping that uh, the the Highlanders didn't just give uh, you know uh, Mr. McKillop. A, uh, a whole bunch of film on how to beat Duquesne and beat them pretty badly. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that could be a, a crucial situation. Uh, you know, but I don't think it's going to hold up on every night. You know, I don't think they're a bad matchup for every team in the league. Uh, you know, so, I mean, if we're just sort of looking at an overall outlook for Davidson, I, I don't see them as the favorite for the league. But at the same time, in such a down year, I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow pull off uh, you know, a, a big run in the Atlantic 10 tournament. Well, and that's going to be the challenge of the Atlantic 10 in general. And we've talked quite a lot about this, uh, you know, whether it's 
having to go into Olean and play uh, uh, St. Bonaventure, whatever they are, whatever their record, it's always tough. Um, mm-hmm. The the A10 is going to be it's going to be a bunch of teams that are probably going to beat each other up. I, I don't know that anybody really truly separated themselves in the non conference portion of the schedule. Um, I, I don't know. I'd have to look more closely to see if there were any wins that really make me say, oh. But um, I don't recall there being a lot of those. Um, I, uh, I I don't know. It's going to be a pretty mixed bag. VCU is probably the only team that, that did much of that distinguishing. Um, their, their Texas win isn't looking as good as it once was, but they did beat Temple as well. Uh, and that's, that. you know, the Temple you know, is, has a very, very solid RPI. Um, VCU is actually in a position right now where they're top 30 ish RPI. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's certainly something to be said about that. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be able to keep that up in conference, you know, but, but at the moment they might actually have a shot. They're the only team I think that has any shot of getting an at large bid from, uh, the conference at this point. Um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's a great shot either. Um, because like you said, you got to go to, this is going to be a meat grinder and there's going to be some bad, bad losses to some really good teams. Um, because you know, there's, there's just quite a few teams that, that just haven't played well on paper in the non-conference. Uh, and, and they're not as, they're not as bad as, as their records might indicate right now. Certainly not their rankings. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. There are so many ways that you can do that, and we appreciate that you're giving some of it to us. We will see you again. Well, we're going to have to figure out a way to balance out the schedule and bring us back in, but we'll certainly see you again uh, sometime after A10 play starts. And until then, let's go Dukes. Dukes.